The reading this evening is taken from Acts chapter 7, verses 20 to 38, and that can be found on page 1099 in your church Bibles. Acts chapter 7, verse 20. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being ill-treated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was ill-treating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who had appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And he received living words to pass on to us. In the course of uh, preparing this sermon, uh, I, the, the sermon itself went into uh, a, a direction that I wasn't expecting. And uh, I'm not quite sure what your expectation is. Under the one heading, let my people go. Uh, I was uh, looking at some books, and I found this intriguing book, which, is, which I have to confess gathered dust uh, in the study, called Let My People Grow, a very controversial book at the time. came out about 1976 uh, with Michael Harper. 
and uh, the whole issue of the role of women in leadership and the work of the Spirit, releasing people into ministry and gifts and so forth. And in the course of it, in his introduction, he was advocating clear thinking. And he quotes uh, George Orwell from 1984. And uh, he, used, he coins this phrase, doesn't he? Double think. Uh, which means, uh, double think means the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. Double thinking uh, is a particular art that politicians are capable of. And I'm told lawyers, for those who have some in your family, I'm sorry, um, economists and churchmen, no less, that ability to have double think. Well, in a way, it's a good introduction to Moses because... He is given a mission which, make no question about it, is mission impossible. I was trying to think, what is the modern day equivalent of God saying to somebody who's in a prominent position, um, Go to that country and tell them to release all the Christians. You could think of Iran, Iraq, many parts of former Eastern Europe, parts of Africa today. And it would almost be uh, suicidal to do that. And yet that is exactly... We're familiar with this story, and it was interesting that Stephen, on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached on the power and the influence of Moses. Perhaps we wouldn't do that. If you want the church to be empowered and filled and transformed, would you preach a sermon on Moses? Well, by the Spirit, you see in Acts, um, the longest sermon preached, uh, other than the Sermon on the Mount, and a lot of it is the life of Moses. It's quite interesting in itself. Well, Moses had a big problem. And his big problem was this. Not only did he have mission impossible, big time, but he himself was manifestly lacking in confidence. And as we shall see in the course of this sermon, his, he has reason, his confidence has been shattered and there's this sort of double think in his mind. On the one hand, he is to go to Pharaoh. He was brought up in Pharaoh's household. He was educated with all the wisdom of Egypt, which was one of the seventh wonders of the world. A remarkable education, cultured in many ways. So he knew the situation to which he was going. And he could have said to God, you, you really can't be serious. But he was. That's the one problem. And the other problem is, yes, okay, know your enemies. But what about your friends? The Israelites didn't trust him. 
and they had reason to. Now, you put all that together, you really would say, I don't think this is going to work. What I want to do then in the course of this sermon, and as you can see as part of the series, we're covering a big raft of Scripture, and we've got these broad brushstrokes to see uh, how we can narrow it down to see how God deals with Moses with this massive commission. So, you got the picture. He's emotionally disturbed. His confidence is shattered. He's got a loss of perspective. He's got a lack of clear thinking. So he's got to go to see Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go. And what's intriguing from these chapters in Exodus 5 to 10 is the account then of how God uses Moses. And it's a blend, a fascinating blend of restored self-confidence. That's not wrong in itself. So that he now has confidence in God and restored faith. So what the rest of the sermon is this. We are going to follow Moses through this rehab process. Occasionally you talk to somebody who's had big problems, they've gone through rehab, and they've come out the other side. But it's a very painful process. Well, that's where we're going. And now you've got the picture. And uh, if you keep your Bibles open, please, in Exodus chapters 5, and we'll just flick through, and uh, for the sake of time, try not to uh, look too much in detail. So our first point, then, is this. The first thing is a test of confidence. Test of confidence. You have it there in chapter 4 and verse 29. Okay. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, second book, the New Testament, page 61 in the Church Bibles, chapter 4, verse uh, 29 to 31. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron, take note of that, by the way, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. Well, why didn't Moses say it? Ah, oh, that's a bit of a key in terms of how this is going to work. He also performed signs before the people, and they, the Israelites, believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. That's a good start. Moses, lacking confidence even to speak, if you've seen the, that film, what's it, King George? This, um, something King George? Speech of K. Yes. Well, that's what Moses is like. He had a stutter. He, 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 you know, yes, he, he had a prominent position, but no confidence. So he brings in Aaron to be his spokesman at that time. So you, you're beginning to build up a picture now that this is someone who has lots of issues. That's what we say, isn't it? So he lacked confidence. Aaron was to speak for him. And when you get to chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go. And you'll hear this uh, repeated like a mantra throughout. Now, 
Pharaoh's not impressed at all. Good start. But it hits the buffers. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. And then there's this discussion and it all turns pear-shaped very quickly. And when you get to chapter 7, verse 17 rather, of chapter 5, just stay with this, just to paint the picture, um, they ask to celebrate one of the feasts of the Jewish people and Pharaoh is not impressed. Verse 17, he says, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quarter of bricks. The Israelites' foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. Now then, look at this. When they left Pharaoh and they found Moses and Aaron waiting, Moses has given the decree, he's obeyed the Lord. What happens? Verse 21, and they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. It's all gone sour. Now you see the connection. More in, not just that, but how it, Moses almost recoils within himself and it only confirms what he believed before. He is rejected by Pharaoh and he is rejected by the Israelites again. And it's a sequence of what has happened and continues to happen. So for Moses, all the memories of the bitter rejection of the past that he thought that he had worked through surfaced again. And he's back to square one. Before Moses ran away. But this time Moses didn't run. He did run rather. But he went in the right direction. And so what you have in verse uh, 22. Moses' reaction. And I would hope this would be ours in our better moments. Look at the end of chapter 5. So that's what's happened. The reaction. Moses is rejected. The, the leaders of Israel have rejected. Moses goes to the Lord. Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. It's not a very nice situation, is it? So you can appreciate all the memories, reliving the bitter disappointments of the past. That's the first thing then, the test of confidence. The second thing is the test of credibility. C continue in, uh, read in chapter 6 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God said to Moses, I am the Lord, and so on. And reminds him that he is the covenant God of Abram, and so forth. And when you get to 6 and 7, just to see this. Therefore, say to the Israelites... What is Moses to say to them? I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment, and so on and so forth. And you can take, uh, follow that through. Moses is anxious. He's ambivalent. He's not sure. He has a credibility gap the size of the Red Sea itself. And yet, he obeys in Naked faith, nothing else, just faith in God. And the result? You'd say, God intervened and blessed him. No, he's rejected again. He's rejected again. You could almost write the script, couldn't you? When you get to verse 10, chapter 6, see this. It's not an easy situation to be in, is it? Chapter 6, verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why should Pharaoh listen to me? Give me a break. It's one thing for Pharaoh. It's another thing for your people. Here is the classic situation where he's between a rock and a hard place. So he obeys, he's back to square one, his sense of rejection is surfaced, and now he regresses even further. With Pharaoh and the Israelites, Moses' credibility gap is widened. You say, this is a strange sermon, and I agree with you, it is. But what, what we don't appreciate at this point is this. What Moses doesn't realize, and oftentimes for us in our personal difficulties and situations that we don't realize, is this, that God is working in us. Now, whatever else you take from this sermon, take this. What God is doing in us is just as important as what he does through us. Indeed, I think the first is as important as the second. And God is working in Moses. He can't see it. And often we can't. And what is God doing? Well, God is restoring Moses. He is strengthening him. And he's preparing him for the future, of which we know he didn't. So those are the two, two tests. The test of, of guidance and the test of credibility. Now, the rest of the, these chapters, we, we just look at these plagues, and we're not going to spend too long uh, in them, other than just to see that there are ten uh, plagues in total. And here is the interesting thing again. I don't want to comment on the plagues themselves, though that would be, would be interesting, but how God is dealing with Moses, and at the same time, of course, Pharaoh. Uh, two things with these plagues that's most interesting. The first is this. There is God's primary purpose and God's secondary purpose. God's primary purpose here in the signs and wonders is that he is demonstrating that he is the sovereign Lord and it is linked to a much bigger canvas that he is preparing 
for the coming of the Messiah. I don't know if you noticed the connection when Stephen preached. This is the only cross-reference, so keep Exodus with you and turn to the book of Acts, this remarkable sermon of Stephen, after which, of course, you know he was martyred. But come to Acts chapter 7. And verse 37. Try to, you know, it's, in, it, it's, it's incredible to make these, these connections. So, yes, God's primary purpose. Before the unbelieving Pharaoh, and let's be honest, before the unbelieving Israelites, he is demonstrating that he is the sovereign Lord. And it's linked to the coming of the Messiah or what we call the Great Commission, proclaiming his kingdom. And in Acts 7, 37, just one verse. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, quote, unquote, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. And on a much bigger scale, a much wider canvas, God is demonstrating that he is the sovereign Lord. Okay, back to Moses. That's his primary purpose. His secondary purpose is he is reshaping, he is rebuilding Moses' confidence. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, I, we're going to zip through these um, uh, plagues uh, quite quickly. But what, what you see is this. Just um, notice... If you haven't noticed this before, and if it's, if it's obvious to you, forgive me, um, there is a subtle transition. This secondary purpose that we have. As you read through these plagues, you will see Aaron is a prominent figure. So, God speaks to Moses, Moses speaks to Aaron, Aaron carries the message to Pharaoh. If you, you read this in these ten plagues. But look at the transition. The Chapter 7, uh, verse 14. Here it is. It's the first plague, water and blood. Horrible plague. Then the, that's chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron. Okay. So, chapter 7, verse 20. So, Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded. Right, that's the first plague. The second plague, frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, uh, this is chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron. Third plague, these gnats, or they may be mosquitoes or something. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, and Aaron stretched out his hand. But when you get to the fourth plague of insects, then the Lord said to Moses, and Moses said to Aaron. And thereafter, Aaron fades out, and Moses is regaining the whole point of what we're trying to say here, and it's a very subtle transition. You'd hardly notice if I wasn't to draw your attention to it. It's the way that the Lord now is working in Moses. It's almost like as if the plagues are not important at all. And when you get to the last plague, you'll see that it is Moses. The God's been shaping, working, restoring in all of these areas. What I'd like to do now is to say, what's the application of all of this from these uh, chapters? And to, uh, just to draw some conclusions. And uh, uh, there are seven quick points. I promise you they are quick. Number one, 
So we've looked at God working in Moses' life. He's, he's preparing him. And we know the outcome. But if you didn't, you'd say, this is something. The application then for us today as God works in our lives, our situation isn't that we are going to open the Red Sea, but we face an impasse in lives, in relationships, which are just as challenging. So number one, today some Christians believe that when you come to faith, that all your psychological problems of confidence and stress will just fall away. Most of us know, some more acutely than others, that emotional healing is a process that takes time. For some, almost a lifetime. For Moses, this regaining of proper perspective was the way that God was working with him. Number two, God is interested in our everyday difficulties, the problems we face. And the way that you, if you read these chapters through this window, you will see that he is particularly concerned about the emotional problems such as insecurity, inferiority, and anxiety. And sometimes our lives are shot through with these emotions, negative emotions. And often, they stand in the way of us obeying him. They did with Moses. Let me put it just simply like this. That often our emotional problems hold us back spiritually. We may go on a witch hunt in ourselves and look for sins that are not there. They're, they're emotional problems that cripple us. Spiritually. Number three. The process of overcoming and facing these emotions and difficulties is this. Sometimes, indeed I'm almost tempted to say most times, they get worse before they get better. They get worse before they get better. Now think of Moses. The situation he's in, he is to face the Israelites yet again with that rejection, and he's to face Pharaoh. And it was painful. He would rather not do it. He would rather run away. He had once. He was tempted again. But by God's grace, he didn't. Number four. It is easy to regress to previous patterns of behavior. It's a sort of how we are, how we are made. And we don't do it deliberately. We almost do it without thinking. And the fears and anxieties that we think we've overcome have surfaced again in different situations. Moses did regress. And so do we, sadly. Fifthly, when working to overcome problems of insecurity and confidence, here's an interesting thing. God may give us 
a temporary crutch. Moses' temporary crutch in that marvelous period of transition was Aaron. He leaned on him. He says, Maureen, you speak to them. I can't. You go there. I'll wait. But it was temporary. Now, let me use a simple illustration. Suppose, suppose you had a broken leg. Maybe some of you have. And you needed a crutch. Your legs got better. But you like the crutch. And you use it for the rest of your life. It's an absurd illustration. But it can happen emotionally. And we limp through life with the temporary crutch that becomes permanent. Moses needed Aaron. And God provided him with one. But it wasn't permanent. You find that Aaron fades out of the scene and God calls Moses to stand. Do you remember the way Paul needed Barnabas? Even though they had an almighty quarrel. Relationships are not easy. But God is at work bringing good out of them. Sixthly, when supporting and helping others or being involved in their problems of insecurity and difficulty, we need to learn to withdraw gradually. It's so easy to get frustrated. And we say, well, I you know, walk away. You're on your own. But what you have here is God gradually and in a very sensitive way withdrawing the crutch to help Moses stand where previously he had run away. And seventhly, uh, no matter what our level of maturity, and we're all at different stages here tonight, we are always vulnerable. We're always vulnerable. You remember, I quoted before, I was so challenged when he's in heaven now, the great John Stott was preaching at the Evangelical Ministry Assembly, and it was nearly 20 years ago. He died when he was 90, and he said at one point, uncharacteristic of John Stott, who digressed from his script. Every word was measured when he spoke. And he says, I have just had my 70th birthday, and my great prayer is I will not fall on the last hurdle. What did he mean? A besetting sin, a failure, a weakness? Like all of us. No matter what our maturity, we are always vulnerable. Always vulnerable. Particularly in areas where once we were weak. Because of the danger to regress. Uh, and in conclusion, though it could be an eighth point, I suppose, you're never too old. You're never too old to start developing confidence in God. How old are you? Well, Moses was 80. It's pretty good, wasn't it? Moses was 80. He wasn't too old. None of us are. None of us are. Let my people go. 
or let my people grow. Well, it's both, isn't it? To trust and to grow at all the various stages that we are in life. I wonder if you could just think for a moment then in final application to think about a person, a believer or unbeliever, it doesn't really matter that much, who's having a problem with, in all of this area that you know about. Maybe within your family. Maybe it's you, husband, wife, children, colleague. What can you do tactfully to help a person regain lost ground emotionally and in confidence? But as part of that, an answer to that question, and it's this. But remember, if someone tries to help you, and you might say, God forbid, because you, you don't let people near you anyway. If someone tries to help you, don't you be too proud to accept help. Moses wasn't, and you shouldn't. And of course, as they say, the rest is history. We know about Moses, and we know about ourselves, and God wants to work in us to fulfill his good and perfect will. 